I'm James Intracasso, and I love tabletop role-playing games. I've got a new podcast called Tabletop Babble that talks RPG advice, interviews, reviews, and news with some of the top names in the industry. The conversation is casual, just like it would be if we were hanging out at a convention or local friendly game store. Get a new episode each week at don'tsplitthepodcastnetwork.com or wherever podcasts are available for free. Folks, my name is Mike Shea. I run the website Sly Flourish, and I am the uh, new and proud host of the uh, show on the Don't Split the Podcast Network, the DM's Deep Dive. This is going to be a monthly show, and uh, each month we are going to pick a particular topic, and we're going to dive deep into it. It's a particular topic relevant to role-playing games, but primarily focused on uh, D&D. And rather than kind of hitting just surface-level conversations that you're likely to see all over the net... Uh, I'm going to bring on one guest, somebody that you know, m- most of the time, people that I know that have really put their heads around a particular topic and uh, dive deep into that topic, really try to explore it and hopefully learn some new things and cover some stuff that we don't we don't typically see, really spend a good amount of time. It's going to be an hour-long show. Uh, we're going to talk for about 40 minutes, and um, then we'll have probably 20 minutes of questions from the chat channel. Tonight's particular topic, I brought on a good friend of mine, a guy I've known since the early days of 4th edition. We met up at Gen Con. We've talked on Twitter you know, part of the one of the original like bloggers about uh, the fourth edition of D and D. What is it about five years ago or so? How long ago was that? Two thousand eight. Yeah, two thousand eight. Uh, he and I met, and we've been talking about. Uh, it is Enrique Bertrand, the newbie DM. He runs the website newbie DM, and uh, the topic that we had talked about uh, discussing is what it's like to be a new dungeon master these days. What do new DMs face? How has it changed for new DMs in this age? And, you know, generally speaking, what is it like to be a new DM? And what are the kinds of things that can help new DMs? And uh, that is an area that I know uh, Enrique has spent a good deal of time talking about. So uh, I thought it would be a a good topic. Uh, I do want to put out one disclaimer. Both Enrique, uh, Enrique, would you take uh, a couple of the books that you just showed me? Uh, and show them to our fine audience. First of all, I want to say thank you, Mike, for inviting me on your show. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. I'm really excited. A Mike Shea podcast or a podcast with Mike Shea in it is always an excellent (laughs) podcast, and I'm really happy to be here. And I look forward to many more Triple Ds, as I'm calling this podcast. Triple Ds. Now, now I'll show you some of the books that I brought along. I've been doing some reading before the podcast to to get my head around D&D. I have the Forgotten Realms Adventure textbook. This book is the book that killed assassins in Faroon and moved Faroon over to second edition before the second edition box set came out. I have my third edition DM's guide. I have my second edition player's handbook. I have my second edition uh, very worn. Yeah, I was gonna say, could you show the spine of that book if you would? Yeah, look at that. That's the second edition Dungeon Master's Guide, right? The second edition Dungeon Master's Guide. Mid-80s is that? I have my first edition player's handbook. Uh, It used to belong to a gentleman called Brian Bisson. Uh, Brian, if you're watching- If you're out there. Brian, if you're watching, I have your player's handbook. Come on, Brian, come pick up your player's handbook. Come, come get it at my house. It's, over, it's sitting on my shelf. And then I have my uh, rules cyclopedia here, which is a, a very nice book that collects all the uh, Beckmeat box sets into a hardcover. So I've been so, doing some reading to get my mind uh, wrapped around D&D. If you notice, right. I don't have the fourth edition book because I know that book. You know, why, like, why start it? Why start a debate? 
Yeah, yeah, why? I don't have my old collection of books. Somehow, in all of my various moves, I lost them. But uh, at least a few of those, right, a few of those I have had. And uh, so I think it is safe to say that while you have the uh, tag as the newbie DM, uh, there's not a whole lot of newbie left in you, I'd say. Uh, you know, you're always learning. There's always room to learn, Mike. That is that is right. There are, that's not, that's not, yeah, there's always room to learn. I'm still learning. I'm, I'm, Absolutely. You know, I agree I'm with that 100%. A, yes. I'm running a... I'm running a fifth edition uh, game right now. Right. Some of my players are probably might maybe are watching. They're, they're you know we play over World Twenty, and I'm still learning. You know. Yes. There, there's still things that I'm still that I still struggle with and always, and always learn. learn. Always be learning. Oh, and I'm uh, just one more. Indulge me for a second. I'll be starting another game, uh, maybe next week of this bad boy, which is one of my favorite. Ah. Uh, is that the D6? That this is the D6 Star Wars role playing game. One of the best games ever. Uh, West, games, uh, West End Games forever. <laughs> All right, um, now I'm ready to start. So one thing, while we are always able to learn, there's one thing we're not able to do, and that's actually be a new DM today. We can't actually have the experience of what it's like to be a dungeon master never having touched the game uh, before now. So uh, one, of the, one of the tricks that we have while we're having this conversation is really putting ourselves in that position, putting ourselves in that, in that seat of what is it like to be a new dungeon master today? And um, so I, I kind of want to throw a question out uh, at you uh, to start, which is, you know, considering that both you and I had, had started with D&D before there was an internet, before there was YouTube, before there was any of this stuff, and given how we learned how to play, wh what do we think it's like for a new dungeon master to learn how to play D&D today? Like, how do, how do we think they get started? What do they have available? What, are they, what paths are they likely to take, would you say? So there's two new dungeon masters, right? There's the guy like me who played D&D for a very long time, and decided one day, okay, I'm gonna pick pick up the other side of the, you know, stand on the other side of the of the of the screen and 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 try DMing. And there's a guy who's never played D&D at all and kind of says, well, okay, I'm gonna start playing D&D and I'm gonna start DMing. And those are two very different experiences, right? Because if you're a player, you kind of know what DMing is. You've been DM'd for a long time if you've been playing for a long time. So you kind of go in sort of knowing what you're doing or at least knowing what what the job entails, right? But if you've never played D&D before and suddenly you're not just learning the rules for the first time and what this game is, but you're also on top of that learning the whole second set of rules, which is what being a DM is like. Mm -hmm. That's pretty pretty damn intimidating, I right. would say, right? Right. In my case, I had played D&D before, so I knew what the job was. And I still had my challenges, right? Because there's nothing more intimidating than your first day, your first new game, and you're kind of sitting at the table and you're looking around, and there's 10 pairs of eyeballs waiting for you to start talking. <laughs> right. Oh, going, come on. Yeah, they're waiting for you to start talking and be entertained. Right. What the hell is this? Right. Yeah, you got to be entertaining and you got to, you know, okay, go. So right. it's an intimidating thing, right? One of the advantages, I think, exists now for new guys that are coming into the game, not just DMs, but players, is the community around D&D that has developed online mm -hmm. over the last few years. And especially the fact that there's now video to go with it, right? Mm -hmm. now, and I'm not talking about guys like you and me doing this, but I'm talking about right. like watching a game of D&D. Live, live play video, yeah. Live play video, which which at first I thought that's kind of dumb, mm. but then I thought, if you're a new guy, that's awesome. And I'll tell you why. When I was a kid, before I started playing D&D, I got the red box and the blue box, the, the, the two Beckme boxes. Somebody gave them to me as a gift, and I had no idea what it was. And I would read the books, 
and 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 I was a kid living in Puerto Rico at the time, right? I spoke English. I I I went to an American school in Puerto Rico, and I spoke Spanish and English, but my main language was Spanish. But I, I but I knew I, I I spoke English, right? So I'm so I I would read the books, and I didn't understand what I was reading, from the sense of okay, what is this? How is this a game? Like how do you play this? I didn't have the big brother, the big cousin, that introduced me to D and D. That came a lot later. So I'm a kid. I'm a 10, 11 year old kid trying to read this, and I'm in the world am I reading? How does this translate to a game that I can play with these? I, I didn't get it. And I'm thinking now, if I'm if I'm that kid and I have 20,000 YouTube channels with people playing D and D, damn, I'm gonna get this pretty quickly, and I'm gonna understand more or less the dynamic of what this game is. And I think that's an exciting thing for for new people. So I think you know the advent of the internet and and the community built around Dungeons and Dragons is a huge contributor to to a future DM success or not at the table. I think mm. they have all the tools to learn now. And I don't know if, if if when I started playing, I started playing later, I started playing in high school. I wasn't 10 or 11 or 12. You know, I don't know if I would have if I would have been a good DM back then because all I knew was the shitty DM that I had at the time, <laughs> who was just as bad as, you know, you know, he wasn't great. I had some good DMs later on, but when I first started, it was like, okay, I guess this is DMing, and then I I got hit on the head with a good DM, and I said, "Wow, that's DMing." That's totally different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah and it, if you're it's, exposed, it's, and if you're not exposed to these things, you don't have you don't have anything to go on. So I think right, the internet right. has really contributed to people having those tools available. Yeah, it's it's, it's interesting that I, I think a lot of people these days, when they have, uh, if they find somebody that's uh, new to D and D and they want to learn, the easiest way is to send them a couple of YouTube video links. You know, I'm I'm actually a pretty big fan of uh, Matt Mercer's uh, recent one, the Force Gray video that he did for a couple reasons. One is it's it's a pretty casual game. It's got a little bit of effects, and there's a little bit of the you know you've got a bunch of actors that are really you know have kind of a dynamic. But when I look at it, it really feels like a D and D game, and it's only a half hour each. You know, you don't have to watch a four hour game. Um, and and they're sitting around a table and they're just playing. You know, it's it's a it's a nice straightforward. It's very you know they're 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 real big into the um, um, real big into the descriptions and the narrative, and they don't have a, they they do have some tabletop props, and they have sort of this magical thing where an entire you know eleven hundred dollar dwarven forger rail suddenly appear on the table. But generally speaking, that's that's secondary to what they've been able to actually do. Um, you, you mentioned know you know it's another thing that that if you think about it, it really helps modern players and modern DMs and new DMs. Is that think about when you started playing D and D? How many video games were out there that were kind of D and D ish that you can remember? There weren't that many, and the technology yeah. certainly wasn't. And the technology certainly wasn't great. Right. You know. I actually, yeah, I actually learned D and D through computer games first by playing the Gold Box games. You know, so 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 for me it was like I wanted to play D and D because like I played Pool of Radiance. And I was like, I love this, and I'd love to be able to do this with my friends. You know, like there's, there, it was clearly more. The visual imagery of what D and D is and what the world of D and D looks like is yeah. pretty ingrained in everybody now. Yeah, whether it's right. movies or, or games. Or, yeah, but, when, but I go back to that time when I was a ten-year-old kid, and yeah. I didn't grow up. I didn't grow up reading The Hobbit. Right. I didn't grow up with Tolkien. Mm -hmm. So I'm reading that book, and I'm seeing a guy with a long beard, and he's a dwarf, and I'm thinking, what is this? Because <laughs> I didn't know. Because I didn't have that. I didn't have that, and I didn't have those. That, that imagery in my head of what an elf was or what a dwarf was, cleric or, you know, those those archetypes that, that, that exist and are part of of today's pop culture. Yeah. It's a lot easier, in my opinion, it's a lot easier to grasp today than back then when I was, you know, when I was a kid. Yeah. 
know, reading it for the first time. It's interesting. I recently uh, I was talking to a friend of mine, a, a coworker who um, through a friend of mine mentioned that he was interested in D and D. Like he mentioned to a friend of mine at work, and then a friend of mine's like, you know, I know, you know, there's a guy that you know that plays a whole, you know, shit ton of D and D. You might want to talk to him about it. And I, of course, am happy. I've bought him a copy of the starter set. You know, I'm very eager. And um, it was very funny to kind of, very interesting to hear some of the questions that he had. And one of the first questions he had is, what do you mean I don't get a character? Like, that sucks, right? Like, why why would they get a character? And I don't, you know, why would I want to play a game where I don't get to be one of the things? And I was like, well, the world is your character. You know, right. like every monster, every villain, every, the whole, all of those are yours. And, and while it doesn't, but, but I remember as a kid, I had that, ex I had characters, right? Like I, you know, and I, I wonder how many, how many, uh, I don't know if it's, you know, with age or, or if it was the time where like, I wanted to have a fighter too, and I wanted to have a mage. So like, you know, I had my fighter and my mage and they got a lot of great loot while I was running the D and D game. I remember I, there was like one particular moment where I realized that those guys weren't my characters. They were NPCs and they had their own like secret stories that suddenly involved the other characters. And I remember even my players like, wait a minute, that guy's actually, and it was like something stupid, right? Like he's actually a lich that's been reincarnated. Like, and you know, what is that about? You know, so I remember that was kind of the switch for me when I realized that the story was more interesting than this character sheet I had in front of me. But it was interesting that as a new, that the first thing a new DM, you know, uh, uh, that somebody who was just getting started and really didn't have a lot of experience with D&D said was in every other game I play, I've got a, you know, I've got a playing piece too. If I'm playing Monopoly, I've got a little thimble, you know, and in this one, I got, I got nothing. And and that that that's one where it's like once we've been playing D and D, we don't even think about that, you know. Like it never even occurs to us that it's kind of a jip that DMs don't get characters because we're like, I'm too busy, frankly. <laughs> I don't have time for that. You mentioned the red box. You mentioned starting with the with the red box. I started playing first edition. Yeah, like the the old. So so that was advanced. Okay. Okay. Got it. And uh, I had a red box. I didn't play. All right. Gotcha. But that's what you said. You read. And it I, was, I did read it. I did yeah. read it. I, 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 the first thing I ever owned was the red box. Yeah. I was in elementary school, the red and blue boxes, and I, they kind of went away into the closet because I didn't get it. You know, when we look at when we look at the rule set that we have now, when we look at you know that we've got the player, the, the fifth edition player's handbook, and I want to talk a little bit more about uh, the starter set with you now that it's now that we've had it for like you know two years now. But when we think about the rule set itself compared to the rule set that existed back then. And we mix it with the fact that people can go to the internet and watch videos of people playing. And, and I guess this is sort of almost falls in the line of, you know, boy, it was so much harder when we were kids. But I guess, how do you feel the rule set lends itself to new players learning how to play compared to what they had before? It's a little bit of a loaded question. I think the fifth, I mean, fifth edition to me is one of the easiest pick up and play versions of D&D yet, mm -hmm. in my opinion not just from the rules itself, but from the way it's explained in the books with a caveat, and I'll get to that in a moment. Um, I think it's a very easy system. It's a very streamlined system, and it's very newbie-friendly. Mm -hmm. That said, as a, as a DM, and as a DM, like in my case, where I've been DMing 5th edition now since it came out, and even before when, when, when we were playtesting it and whatnot, I still have issues with the character, uh, the encounter, uh, think, yeah. The encounter building <laughs> to me are the clunkiest, clunkiest piece of gaming mechanics yeah. in the entire realm of fifth edition. Yeah, it's pretty uh, bad. 
if it were up to me, I would grab those pieces of paper and, and put a lighter to them and burn them and put them away, put them away somewhere. And it would probably cost them all of $100 to develop a digital tool like uh, Cobalt Fight Club right. and put it online and let that be the encounter builder, period. Mm -hmm. Do you uh, think do you think they, they need to bother? I mean, I guess for like a new DM, they could, but they do. They do because so ubiquitous. They do need to bother because the new guy that's going to pick up the game and play and he's going to decipher that that yeah right that trigonometry is not going to figure it out. I didn't figure it. You know, I, no one does. I don't know anybody that uses it. No one uses yeah, it. Yeah, I've never seen anybody that goes through the math and actually tries to figure out how I, much an account by hand. I did it once and I completely screwed up and almost killed a party with a bunch of sturges. It's a bunch of nonsense. Yeah. It's it's there to take up to, to eat up uh, page count. Yeah. I, so so I actually had an opportunity to talk to to folks at Watsi about the encounter building guidelines, and they they have a they have a strong they have a strong argument why they did it. I mean, I agree with you. You know, I one of my one of my favorite articles that I wrote on Sly Flourish is here's my way of doing encounter building. You know, that is, in, in my opinion is way easier because I can do it in my head. But uh, the problem uh, is that we went from the fourth edition version of it yeah, to the fifth really edition easy. version of it, and yeah. it was a downgrade. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, the, the, it took a step down. The, uh, the, the, the reasons that they gave me is they said when it comes to how they design encounters, that's the math that they use. So when they're publishing a product or if they're building a system, that, that all of those steps were all of the little dials and widgets that they used to try to tune an encounter. And, and of course, the alternate argument that I have is, well, that's all great, but it's really complicated and it doesn't work. Like the end result, the encounter that you, even when you do all the math and you do it right, the end encounter doesn't really, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't tell you how powerful an encounter is really going to be. And I haven't gotten to high level fifth edition yet. My characters in my game are currently ninth level. So I don't even know what it looks like at the high levels of d and Honestly, I'm really not that interested in it because to me, that, that whole aspect of the game is not something I, I use or worry about. Right. Right. And as right. a new DM, if I have to give a new DM and uh, one piece of advice, mm -hmm. is go find yourself Cobalt Fight Club on Google. Google mm -hmm. that. Bookmark it in your computer in your browser and use that. Yep. Yep. And and so I, I I had that opportunity to run that DM survey of what tools they use. And Cobalt Fight Club was um, I'm just going to pull it up so I have actual numbers here. Uh, I did my survey. I got 6,600 results back from my DM survey. 4,000 of them gave their top tools that they used. And then I did a bunch of text processing to try to figure out what their top tool was. And of the 4,569 said that Cobalt Fight Club was their number one tool. Uh, that was ahead That was ahead of the Dungeon Master's Guide and the Monster Manual and the Player's Handbook. Well, so yeah, it, it is, you know, encounter, apparently everybody has the same trouble with encounter building. Now, another interesting thing about encounter building, and I'm not so sure that this is good newbie advice, uh, but since we're on the topic of encounter building, and I'd like to close a little thread on this, and we'll get back to talking about what it's like for new DMs. Mike Merles, so uh, I also did a DM questionnaire with a bunch of people. I believe I believe you answered that that questionnaire. And uh, you, you and Mike Merles were two of the people on that questionnaire, if you want to know the company that you keep. He said he doesn't bother with encounter building guidelines at all. He just designs whatever kind of encounter makes sense for the time. And I've heard a lot of people give that same that same general advice that you look at the story and you say what makes sense for the story. And if your level four characters walk into a uh, walk into a canyon filled with twenty eight stone giants, so be it. You know there they are. And now the interesting part is how do a bunch of fourth level characters survive twenty eight angry stone giants? Right, and it's not. It's obviously not tuned. I still feel like it's always good to have a gauge and a guideline for, 
when is an encounter going to wipe out a party and when is it going to be too easy? You know, I like to have something like that. And, and so, so let's talk about the, so, so one thing I wanted to ask you about, and when we're, when we're kind of talking to new DMs, do we, do we, how do you feel about the starter set now that we've had it in our hands for a couple of years, as far as a, you know, I think you can get it for like $12 or something on Amazon. Yeah. Spoilers. I buy them by like the dozen at Christmas time and give them out to friends and use them for white, you know, white elephant gift exchanges and throw them into uh, Toys for Tots all over the place. So I, I like it. But how do, you, how, do you, how do you feel it serves new DMs? I know you wrote about this initially when it, when it came out. Um, how do you feel about it now? Um, I like it. I, I bought it when it came out. I used it. I, I ran uh, my home group uh, through it so we could learn the mechanics of 5th edition. Um, I think the story that in, in the adventure, I think it's a good, interesting story. I thought the mix of characters was was good. It's one of these situations where it's hard to gauge again, right? What serves a new DM best? Right. I remember fourth edition had a there's there's two things that I feel fifth edition lacked in the core rule books. One was an example of play, mm -hmm. um, where you could sort of read a game sessions kind of. You know how a lot of games have a, an example game session and you kind of read to a page or two of, of someone gaming? Mm -hmm. I thought 5th edition could have used one of those. And two, a, a, a small three, four, five page beginner little adventure in the DM's book to sort of show you the mechanics of the game. Mm -hmm. Remember how how 4th edition had the kobold, uh, kobold hideout or whatever it was called? Mm -hmm. uh, they had, and, are you talking about like the choose your own adventure style? No, no, no. Fourth edition, if I remember correctly, the DMG for fourth edition had a four-room kobold hideout where you went through different mechanics. Uh, it was like a trap room. It had like a combat room. Uh, huh. Maybe someone in the chat will will chime in and, and correct me if I'm wrong. I seem to remember there was a kobold. It was like like a series of rooms designed to teach you each yeah, of the main components of fourth? Like four rooms. And I remember I put out a PDF with the maps printed to scale. Where did I get that book from? It must have been the DMG. Okay. In fourth edition, and I thought that that was a very helpful thing for new DMs to have the DMG and go and, and find a spot where they're actually learning what a game looks like. Sample little dungeon, uh, the newbie level, the tutorial level of a video game, right? Mm -hmm. That's what it is. Mm -hmm. I feel that fifth edition could have used something like that. Yeah. Not only because a, a new guy is going to pick it up and say, okay, let me see what this game looks like when it's played, and he's not going to find an example of that in the book. Right. And I, I go back to my experience as a kid when I didn't have an example of what the game was actually like when someone was running it, when I was trying to figure out what the book was telling me. Mm -hmm. I always try to put myself in the mindset of what a new DM experiences. This day and age, obviously, it's a very different thing. Now we have the video, now we have you know guys like, like me and you and, and everybody else talking about it. So it's a different world, I get it. But I still feel that the game could do a little more, be a little more inclusive to the new player mm -hmm. and, not assume that people, and not assume that people know what D&D is. We've, I think the game has fallen into this thing where people assume what it is, and that's not always the case. Mm -hmm. But back to the starter set, which was your question, I, I do feel it's a great product. I, I used it, mm -hmm. and recently I gave it away to someone who was starting for the first time, so I, I do see value in it. Yeah, I, I actually, I, I like it. I like it for a bunch of reasons. A, I like it because even as an experienced DM, uh, it was a great adventure. In fact, I, you know, I'd probably put it on the top of the list of all of the D&D &D adventures that have come out in fifth. It's just pure D&D &D from yeah. top to bottom. 
it's four interlinked adventures with lots of it's very, it's, a, it's a fun it's a fun adventure and it has it's a lot a of different adventure yeah it has a lot um, of different paths that you could take and and a lot right. of npcs that you could uh yep. Yep. play around with so it is yeah. a good one. Uh, it's got a nice little monster codex in the back that, you know, even if somebody only spent 12 bucks and really didn't want to get much further, if they're willing to keep playing with those same pre-gen characters, you could run with just this and kind of make your own adventures oh. for some time. I mean, that box gives you a good good amount of weeks of gaming if, if you... Yeah. If, yeah. yeah, it's like 16 hours if you just yeah. play the adventure. Yeah. And then it's many hours more if you want to keep kind of expanding on your own. So it's a good value. I, yeah. I feel it's a great value for the money. So, yeah. yeah, I think that it, you know, I was just taking a look at it again because it's been a little while and I was like, how much does it walk you through the first parts of it? You know, like if you open this up and you've never read anything before and it, and it actually has a fair bit of description. One thing that I'll, that I'll say is uh, something about Wizards of the Coast in general. They, they haven't found a set of words they didn't like. You know, all of I mean, like when I when I compare this to a couple of other uh, adventures I've seen from other from other publishers, um, the one I'm thinking of, Monty Cook's uh, Numenera. He did a, a book called Weird Discoveries, which is a set of 10 adventures. And like, it is so sparse in words. Like it is really, 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 you know, start here and read this. And then you read it. And it's like, if you have time, read this, you know, for every adventure. It's really lightweight. This one does a good job of saying, before continuing with the adventure, take a few minutes to do the following, encourage the player to introduce the characters. So it kind of walks people and DMs through what a game looks like. And, and maybe you could use just a little bit more of that or maybe a little bit more reinforcing. But on the other hand, you know, if you're an experienced DM, and I think a lot of the audience for 5th edition initially was people that had played some kind of D&D, you wouldn't want a whole book that was just that and, and miss the rest of what's in here, which is, you know, like, like you mentioned, you know, 16 hours worth of, uh, of, a really solid, of a really solid adventure. So there is one, much like you are uh, uh, very passionate about encounter building, uh, there's one aspect that I've always kind of had trouble with. I had... I don't know if I exactly, I guess I had trouble with this in fourth edition as well. And it was the expectation of how to run combat. One thing about, yeah, I know that you know that this is a thing, a, a, a bug of mine, right? And it's one that I have not come to a firm conclusion about. Part of it is, it is sort of easily described as, do you run gridded combat or do you run theater of the mind, right? Do you run with a five foot square per inch grid on a big board or in like roll 20 with icons and tokens and everybody measures off like exactly how big a fireball is and how many creatures fit within that fireball and stuff like that or do you just you know describe it in pure narrative your fireball goes sailing across the room and smashes into the goblins six of the goblins are immediately incinerated you know and the rest go running and, and flee in terror and i you know i i i, I run both right but the, the i guess from a new dm perspective though when you buy a product like this and you read that all of the distances are measured in feet, right? Fireball is measured, the, 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 the diameter of a fireball is measured in feet. Lightning bolts are measured in feet. Uh, everything, all the distances are, are, are very specific. But then the book doesn't really tell you how all that is arranged. Uh, and I, and I, I gave a copy of the starter set to another friend of mine back when it first came out and he ran it for his kids. And he came back, and he actually had played a bunch of D&D, &D, but he hadn't played in a while, and he never, I don't think he ran a D&D &D game in many years. And his response was like, I don't know how the hell to run combat. Like, because it, it, it mentions all this stuff about movement and your speed and all that, but there's nothing, there's no map, there's nothing for me to put any characters on, I don't have any tokens, I don't have any representation. At what, and, and I said, well, you just kind of ignore that. You know, just ignore it and say what's going to happen. And, and his thing was like, I can ignore it, but it's all sitting right here in front of me. 
like all the distances are in feet, all the all these specific measurements. It's, it, it makes it feel like I should be using that. And then for well, me to immediately throw it away felt weird. I, I do believe, and this is an unpopular opinion maybe, but I do believe that 5th edition is a game that likes to pretend it's gridless, but it really does sit on a grid. Mm-hmm. I mean, every, I mean, the five foot square is, is what? That's, that's just a, that's just a third edition legacy thing that they didn't need to, why, why bring that into fifth if it's, if, if the game's theater, theater of their mind. Right. You know, it's, it's, the game sits on a grid. I, I believe that. I, I play it that way. I play it on a grid. I, mm-hmm. I use the map. I use the, the roll 20 tokens and grid and, mm-hmm. and whatnot, because I would go crazy otherwise. I, I don't, mm-hmm. I couldn't run D&D without. Mm-hmm. I couldn't run theater of the mind. I'm just my mind is not wired that way, mm-hmm. and and I wish I could because my preferred style of play is theater of the mind. Uh, when I started playing first edition, that's how we played. We didn't right. have a map and a grid and and minis and whatnot. I, I wish I could, but I just can't. My I'm just not wired for that. So to run it, to play it, I could play it because I'm I'm, I'm giving the DM the benefit of the of, of the doubt. Right. right. And you're you're not alone. The um, you know that that survey. One of the questions I asked in that survey was how people ran combat, and I offered three options: uh, five foot gridded combat, abstract maps, which we can talk about a little bit, something we haven't talked about, or theater of the mind. And sixty three percent of them chose gridded combat, with nineteen percent for abstract maps and eighteen percent for theater of the mind. So clearly, the you know, in my opinion, and based on based on the survey, which was a pretty wide ranging survey, again, sixty six hundred respondents. I think the majority of people probably play on a grid. I here's think. a here's here's a big challenge. A DM, a new DM. You've never played D and D before, first time, right? You start a combat. You have to tactically outmaneuver, or you're trying to challenge tactically at least these five people sitting in front of you, mm-hmm. and their characters and their abilities with your monsters, right? And this is a huge issue. This was a huge issue for me in fourth edition. I'm not really tactically minded. I'm not, you know, I'm more of a story guy. I'm not really into chess, right? Mm-hmm. And fourth edition felt a lot like a chess match. Mm-hmm. I had to think tactically. I had to, the monsters had roles that were very combat defined combat roles. You know, you had your lurker, your your striker, whatever. And you had to think in that mindset. And I didn't have that mindset. Mm-hmm. So not only am I trying to remember all the rules, not only am I trying to remember how combat works mechanically, what the initiative, the this, the that, the, the rules of the game. There's another layer on top of that, which I got to be a tactician on the battlefield and figure mm-hmm. out how these monsters would think and act and behave and how the terrain plays into it and this and that. It's a lot. Sure. Yeah. It's a lot of heavy lifting. Yeah. So that's very interesting. I wonder. I wonder if that's um, sort of a uh, an issue that new DMs face. Do they kind of like? I've and I've had people actually come up. I've had a couple of people, a player that had played with me for now like 15, you know, maybe as many as 12 or 13 years, and somebody who had been kind of reading all my my Sly Flourish nonsense for for a long time. And uh, my player, the, the the player that played with me came and and one time she said she goes, you know, I don't know if you realize how much you've changed as a dungeon master. You know, and I was like, and I was kind of like, I, you know, she thought I was pissed. And I'm like, no, I'm very interested to hear, like, what, what do you mean? She goes, you, you know, you really were very competitive initially. Like, you'd get mad when your guys died and you'd get upset when, you know, and now, like, things are just flowing and guys, you know, we're, I feel so much more empowered because crazy stuff happens and things totally, you know, the unexpected occurs. And, um, and, and somebody else uh, actually was uh, at uh, Origins last year. 
the blogger uh, DM David. Are you familiar with DM David blog? Yeah, yeah, I love that blog. Yeah, yeah right. He's fantastic, right? Uh, so I met him, uh, I think at Gen Con and then, uh, he was at Origins and he came up and he goes, you know, I don't know if you realize like, or something along, I'm paraphrasing, you know, you don't know how you've really changed in how you're approaching D and D since the fourth edition days to now. And, and I think what they're both describing is how, and, and what I feel is how I've let go of the competitive nature of the game. And I, well, I remember, you know, I remember how you complained about, you know, such and such spell is broken because my, and I still do. So. They're yeah. killing my solos in two yeah. rounds. Yeah. Blah, blah, goddamn, blah. goddamn moon druids still piss me off. Don't get me wrong, right? I'm still and and George, your you know your your buddy George, your childhood friend who plays in my game, you know <laughs> he still gives me crap about how I nerfed, I, like I nerfed his fourth edition guy, you know, seven years ago. He still brings <laughs> it up, but it's that doesn't mean it wasn't broken. He's a liar. Um, <laughs> hey George, for some reason, so I think two things happened. One one for me, fifth edition. Uh, helped kind of break me away from, yeah, part of it is I just learned to let go, right? But but fifth edition felt less competitive to me. And it also gave me a lot more opportunity to sort of tune a battle just because the time was so much more flexible in a fifth edition fight that if I want to increase hit points, I can increase hit points. And it's not going to make it a slog and it's not going to make it suck. You know, I could just do it. But but also many times I just don't, if the, if the players are going to face off and, and wipe out a whole group of guys really quickly because of one well-placed fireball, great. You know, that's fine and it's fun and they loved it and they got to feel really powerful. And, and that wasn't how I felt in fourth, where I felt like every battle needed to be tuned to a specific mathematical formula. And when that formula broke because somebody used Holy Wrath, you know, and wiped out a whole pile of minions way faster than I expected. But that's also because I think that's also because the game expected you to behave that way because the game sort of took you in that direction. But that's what the game wanted to be. The right. game wanted to be a big, well, yeah, right. a, a big battle piece, right. a big right. set piece battle. Uh, that, that's yeah. what it was. Yeah. And if you weren't doing that, you probably felt like you weren't doing it right. Right. Yeah. And I wonder. If, I wonder if that sort of com competitor versus, you know, you know, I, I always joke, right? Whenever my my players know I'm about to screw them, every time I I remind them that I'm a facilitator for storytelling. You know, that I'm not a a competitor. They know that something or, terrible is going to happen. Or when this guy comes out, right? Yeah, exactly. Like when I put that guy, I keep I keep my Orcus mini around, just in case things get you know go off track. But I wonder if that's something uh, that think a new about what I said though. Think about your first time, and not only do you have to memorize rules and be kind of the rules right. guardian, and people are turning and if they're new, they're turning to you for for answers. Mm -hmm. But then on top of that, you also have to think like five ogres and an and a troll. Yeah, how, how's this bugbear and his three wolves gonna work out? Yeah, that's it's very daunting. Yeah, it's, it's it's intimidating. There's a there's a flip side to that too. Um, you know, I said that I only had one issue. Actually, I have a, a couple. But one of the other ones is particularly in the starter set and starting at level one. Uh, level one fifth edition characters are really squishy, and they are not they are not as squishy as like your your first edition level ones where you have a wizard that you rolled his hit dice and got one. You know how many times? How many times did you see somebody had a hit a wizard with one hit point, but they had one in four chance? In this, you still have low hit points, and like a go a single critical hit from a goblin can drop somebody, and a new DM doesn't have any idea how to handle that. Like you know, it it it, it to me is one of those like I I you know I even wrote the playtest feedback. I think they should just give ten extra hit points to starting characters, 
just off the top, just to just to make them a little less squishy. And then, you know, as they get higher levels, that 10 hit points doesn't matter as much. But I wonder how many times, and I worry, you know, it doesn't keep me up at night exactly, but I do worry that new DMs kind of get their friends. It's already hard to get a group together. It's already hard to get them to convince them to play. They pull this out. They get to that first encounter where they face four goblins. The DM rolls really well. The players die. All their friends give them the finger and say, yeah, let's go back and let's go play Dota. You know, and they're, and they're sort of done playing D&D. I don't know how often that happens. I, I imagine it's it's got to have happened at least once or twice. Maybe not. But exactly again, like it, it goes back to what I was saying earlier. If you're new, there's really no no example anywhere of what what those situations kind of look like and what you can do about them. And mm-hmm. that type of advice and that type of example and that type of of, of detail is missing. Mm-hmm. Because I think again, I just think we take for granted, and by we I mean people have been doing this for a long time. We take for granted that everybody probably knows what this is, at least to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. And there's no one really completely pure coming into it. Right. And I don't know if that's a fair assumption to make. Hey, everybody. It's Rudy Basso, the co-owner of Don't Split the Podcast Network. I would like to encourage you, lovely listener, to head on over to our website and give a listen to my show that I host with my brother called Game O'Clock. It is a video game retrospective, introspective, other spectives, all about the kind of games that we love. And to be honest, we love just about every game out there. Game O'Clock released every Thursday. It's fun, it's short, and hey, you'll probably learn something about video games. Uh, So we actually have a secret guardian angel uh, on our show. Uh, hiding in the background, uh, our our good friend Alex Basso, who's actually doing all of the work for this. Uh, he laid out the, the the channel. He set up that beautiful background. He's been managing all it. He's recording it on the YouTube. He's going to set up the podcast so that all we have to do is sit here and banter, uh, which is kind of how I like to do business, frankly. Alex, uh, and one of the things we want to do at this point, we've kind of hit the 40-minute mark, and, and I think it's time to kind of... Uh, uh, pick up some questions that have been coming across on the chat channel. Uh, Alex, have there been any questions that have really caught your eye? Uh, yeah, so what do you do? What do you write down to try and help, uh, you know, have a more fluid so this uh, is, experience? Gotcha. This is one of my best friends here for prep. Yeah, this is an I, got, I got some of those. He's holding up an index card. You know, right now, I'm, right now the, game I, the game I run is a, and it's kind of a weird game. I'm running a fifth edition version of a third edition module uh, that I'm adapting for a homebrew adventure. So uh, very quickly, I'll give you the the gist of my campaign. It's a it's it takes place in the um, in the Forgotten Realms in the era set in the era where Second Edition was set, um, and it's about a time traveling uh, dragonborn who ends up in the Second Edition era of the realms, and he warns Elminster about the spell plague. So. Sp- Elminster hires the party to make sure the spell plague doesn't happen, causing fourth edition. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I'm using a module right now that came out for third edition called uh, Cormir, the tearing of the of the weave, the tearing of the weave, and I'm adapting it to fifth edition. Um, so my prep involves a lot of converting monsters that just don't exist in fifth edition. I'm doing a lot of reskinning, which I'm a huge fan of because it's it's the easiest thing in the world to do, and and if you want to do reskinning, I I know Mike, you're a huge uh, yeah, love it. Advocate. I do it almost every game, probably yeah, yeah, every game. 
Yeah. That's really that's all I do. I'm not in the business of designing monsters. I'm in the business of saying this monster is going to become this monster and just changing the name on it, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Uh, behind the screen, the players won't know the difference when the dice are rolling. So, uh, my my prep involves a lot of figuring out where I think they're going to go, based on the adventure that we're doing, and and it's a little railroady because one, um, it's an arrangement I have with my players where we know we're kind of. You know, we're all busy and, you know, we're lucky we got the game and, and I'm playing a, a, a pre-written thing. And, and so, you know, we kind of assume we're going to follow the storyline and they're not going to do something crazy and, and just walk away from the story. So my prep isn't that that heavy. But I do a lot of, you know, jotting down names and situations where I think we might have to come up with an NPC, for example. I'll, I'll jot down a few names and say, oh, you've bumped into, you know, Merkin the hairy dwarf, you know, mm-hmm. Merkin. Mm-hmm. It's stuff like that. My, my prep isn't too, too involved because I'm I'm running something pre-published that mm-hmm. really just requires me to do some some encounter math using my tool and and uh, reskinning existing monsters. Mm-hmm. So it's not heavy prep because I'm not inventing a story. Yeah. Um, so I, so I don't have a lot to say about my prep because it's very bare bones. Right. Uh, you you also answered so I, I put out the I mentioned it earlier this uh, uh, my 2016 D and D fifth edition Dungeon Master questionnaire, uh, which I gave out to a whole number of DMs that I knew and people that I knew had spent basically have put a lot of their brain power onto prep, and uh, I asked them questions like how long are their sessions, how often do they run, what elements that speed up their prep time. How much prep time do they spend overall? What activities do they wish they could spend more time on? Um, so, do we have like a show notes thing? Yes, we do. On don't split the podcast network.com. You know what? I'm sorry. I do. I, I did skip over something that I think is yeah. important. I, I am running a a game on Roll Twenty. I'm not running a face to face game, and Roll Twenty does require a little bit of prep in, in the mechanical aspects of it or, or the, uh, the logistical aspects. Yeah, of it. Right. you know, you gotta. Right. You got to put your maps and make sure your graphics, you know, you have the, 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 the right map for the for the table and your tokens and that sort of thing. I do spend a lot of time on that aspect of it because mm-hmm. I, I like to have the mm-hmm. I like to pre plan the encounters and the maps on the, the different possible places that they'll go ahead of time. So I'm not mm-hmm. doing that while we're playing. Right. So a lot of my prep involves taking care of my roll 20 uh, housekeeping, mm-hmm. keeping that in order. Yeah, I'll, 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 um, so I, you know, I, I don't, a few people won't be surprised to hear that, uh, I wrote a book about that very topic on what can one do to do less prep and get more out of their game, particularly for improvisation called the lazy dungeon master. Um, so I'm not going to talk about that too much. I will mention that, that, uh, something I've been doing recently, there's two aspects that aren't in the lazy dungeon master, both things that I've recently started to do. One is, and I wrote about this a lot. I called it the lost chapter of the lazy dungeon master called secrets, where I'll just jot down like a dozen facts, like factoids, tweet sized facts about the game or the world or the story or bad guys or whatever. And then throughout the game, I'll drop these in to kind of give pieces of, you know, kind of move the story along non-sequentially. You might pick up a sword and the sword has a giant rune on it and the giant rune is actually a rune that hasn't existed in the giants for centuries, but it's, you know, tied to the Astorian age from 20,000 years ago or something like that. And you get a little bit of history with everything. Uh, The other trick is I started to write, I, I picked this up when I was writing another book called Fantastic Locations, where I jot down like three 
fantastic, you know, fantastic features of a location, interesting features of every location. So if they're going to a campsite, what are three interesting features about that campsite? Well, there's an old tower there. There's a giant dragon statue on top of that old tower. And there's a secret basement that um, somebody might find at the bottom of that tower. Uh, or, you know, there's a, a church and the, the church has, you know, uh, brambles that are all around it that make it really hard to get to. And on the front door is a symbol of a god that's been dead for two centuries. So I'll try to find these little details. And those are the things I'll write down just so I'm not saying, well, there's a church and it looks like, I don't know, a church. You know, I can actually describe a couple specific things that just sort of, you know, evoke some some imagery. And and I find writing that down ahead of time helps me a lot when I'm when I'm running a game. Uh, Alex, what other what other questions do we have? We probably only have time for, you know, maybe maybe one or two more. Here's one from K3210. So this is kind of referring to your first topic you guys were talking about with, uh, you know, all the shows nowadays uh, yeah. with actual plays. So K3 wants to know, um, you know, with everyone, all the DMs being either a professional actor or employee of a gaming company, company, do you think the internet can set realistic expectations of new Dungeon Masters? I think it can. I'll invite you on my game and you can uh, <laughs> you can see me stumble my way through <laughs> through my game. <laughs> you, you'll want to turn it off after 10 minutes. Yes, I, I do think, um, yes, the question is, is is a fair question. I think there's a lot of these people are really entertainers. You know, when you got a guy like, you know, uh, Will Whedon, who who started Star Trek playing games on, on tabletop, and you guys, actors playing D&D, yes, the bar is kind of high for uh, streaming games. But I do think that if you get on YouTube, for example, like lately, I've been going back to to YouTube to look up Star Wars D6 games that because I want to refresh my memory because I'm going to run a D6 game next week or two weeks from now. And there are DMs out there. There are games out there that you can watch that aren't famous. They have maybe two viewers or five viewers or ten. And you could see, you know, real world DMs doing their thing and they'll stumble through it and it will be boring. Some will be fun. Some will be okay. Uh, you know, I, I don't think it should be... I don't think the standard should be the critical role guys or the, you know, not everybody's an entertainer, not everybody's an actor, not everybody's a, a performer. You know, go out there and look for the stuff and, and, and watch a lot and, and learn a lot from different styles. Even a guy that might not be the best entertainer might have a great system at the table for tracking uh, initiative, you know. Mm -hmm. he, yeah. might have, he may have a great system for how he handles fights, but he may be boring a boring narrator who cares you know that mm -hmm. everybody has you could take from everybody you could take something from this guy this guy this guy this girl this guy this girl and and you know there's a whole there's there's many places to learn from i don't think you should limit yourself to you know the famous guys or the, or the really entertaining guys i think everybody has something to offer mm -hmm. uh, in that regard yeah, I'll, I'll offer a, 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 a different opinion. And again, I'll go back to like Matt Mercer on the... Um, so Matt Mercer obviously runs Critical Role, but I kind of got clued in with um, uh, Force Gray. And um, I, I can certainly see that there's an intimidation factor, for particularly for a new DM, to kind of look at that. But when I look at how Matt Mercer runs his game, other, other than the voices, because he's a professional voice actor, and you know, I think unless we're professional voice actors, we're not going to be able to pull off the, the, the awesome kind of speeches and voices that he does. The, the rest of how he runs a game, I think, is achievable. I think that the passion that he throws into it and the the you know his his sort of evocative nature of describing every attack and and the way that he kind of really sort of dives into the 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 imagery of it um, is something that 
normal, you know, I, I, I believe anyway, it's something that normal people can do. Maybe not with the, the, the range of imagination that he has, but I know that I started doing a lot more of that when I started watching him do a lot of that. And, and I didn't need, you know, I didn't need years of training to kind of figure that out. I was like, oh, you know, I really can just sort of let go and, and, and have fun. And, and I think part of that comes from just confidence and, and trusting the group that if you say something, I mean, I say stupid stuff all the time and I get made fun of all the time for bad, you know, most of the time for bad NPC names, but for many other reasons, but they're all my friends and we kind of laugh about it. And I, you know, I might change something because I said something stupid. So I, I, I do think it's, I, I agree with Enrique that, that kind of hitting YouTube in general, just looking for D and D games and, and maybe, you know, looking at a dozen different ones, you don't have to watch the whole things, but you can, just kind of see people's styles and see what see what works. You know, Twitch of course has live play games that people are running in Roll Twenty, and you can watch those too. But I, I don't. I, I think we're doing ourselves. Uh, uh, we're we're not doing ourselves a service if we look at something like what Matt Mercer is doing or what Will Wheaton is doing and think we can't run a game that's kind of like that. You know, we're not going to be professional entertainers about it, but we can grab a lot of. You know, I think we can grab a lot of the passion that they're bringing to their games, and we can bring it to ours just by sort of letting go of our own sort of inhibitions. You can learn from everybody. Even yeah. you could even learn from the new guy. You know, yeah. Oh, I learned all kinds of stuff. That new guy might do something that you might say, "Holy shit!" Yeah. Wow. Oh, that's that's really, that was really ingenious. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, there's no no one is no one knows it all. Alex, what else you got? All right. So here's one from Twitter. This is from at Cooltay105. Uh, he asks, uh, in a new campaign, how do you give low level players a sense of buy-in and that their actions uh, and a feeling that their actions matter in the larger world. So can I tackle that first? Yeah, please. Because it kind of leads me into my golden rule of new, newbie DMing. Uh-oh. And my golden rule of newbie DMing, and and if you're a new DM watching or listening for the and, and you haven't run a game yet, listen carefully. The golden rule of newbie DMing from newbie DM is start small. You're not Tolkien. <laughs> and and what that means is but i got this players, world in my head yeah nobody cares about your prose nobody cares about your world nobody cares about the 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 mystical mountain where the oracle of whatever lives no one gives a shit your players your players are starting out in a small town a hamlet a little village or maybe a small city and they're going to have a little adventure there and all you're responsible for is making sure that that little hamlet lives breathes the little village moves, and 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 the and the guy who sells the fur skins is the same guy who's going to sell the fur skin the next time you play, and you make that little world alive. That's all they that's all they should care about, and that's all you should care about right now. Worry about the bigger world later. When they get to that point, you worry about it. Not right now, because no one gives a shit. And you, the way you make your players have buy-in is you make them feel part of that little world that they're in, right. and that little world that they're going to be the heroes of. Because that little village is going to need saving from the orc. And guess who's going to do it? It's going to be your, your your players. And that's how you get the buy-in. Mm -hmm. Forget about the, the eighth wonder oracle from the Misty Mountain. No one gives a shit. <laughs> and, and you shouldn't be worried about that right now. At this point in time, at the first level PC, at the starting, the starting game of your campaign, all you should be worried about is that their little part of the world and making sure that they're the heroes of that little part of the world. And that's how you get the buy-in. Mm. Because once they leave that village as heroes and they move on to something bigger and greater, they've already invested in your world because they already made a difference where it counted back mm -hmm. home. Mm -hmm. You know, that to me that's the golden rule. That to me that's how you build a, 
uh, that's how you build uh, the buy-in for your players. And the same thing applies in my Star Wars games. In my Star Wars games, my players always start, you know, always start in some <laughs> shitty, some crappy, <laughs> some crappy cantina in a small, you know, pumpkin world somewhere, and and they happen to do something there that makes them heroes, and they're, and and it leads them on the journey, the hero's journey. You know, it's the same thing with D and D. Yeah. I, I agree 100 percent I think that 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 um, you know starting small staying focused uh, that that how do you get them to love the world and you make that world just as big as their eyesight is right and they don't they don't need to know about everything else the one another another newbie mistake that I sometimes see and I've actually seen in multiple published adventures uh, is the let me throw a giant ass monster at you when you're level two and show you how weak and pathetic you are and that to me is a terrible way of making somebody feel like they're empowered. Uh, you know, making them fight some rat swarms, which are actually really deadly for their challenge rating, is is as strong as you need to, you know, throw at somebody. Don't take the adult blue dragon and have it land in front of them. And now they got to negotiate with an adult blue dragon, you know, or they're just going to get breathed on and killed. You know, that's that's lame. And 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 it and it makes them feel small. What? Oh, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. And, you know, you're right. That's, that's, you know, that's not the only one either. Um, you know, uh, the other one is, and, and you know, I'm gonna, it feels like I'm bashing. I, I've played all these adventures and I had a really good time with them. Uh, you, you know, but another one is if you start them off as prisoners and life is miserable and they lost their swords and they don't have anything and they can't eat. And they have to get out of the abyss. They got to get out of the abyss, you know. And the funny thing is, like, for experienced players where that is known up front, where you, you've, you've as a group, agreed before you start this, you know, you're going to start off rough. And you're going to have to – and some, they, they, it feels like Minecraft to them. It's like, my God, I've got nothing but a torch and i got to worry about zombies. Oh, my God. Alarms. Ugh. I think that that's a surefire way to ensure that they don't feel empowered is if you throw them into the deep end too early. Uh, instead, and again, I'll go back to Fandelver, right? Fandelver's like you start off with goblins. Everything that's in that first part is achievable at level one. It's not easy and it's tricky and it requires a lot of good, careful work by the by the players and by the characters, but they can do it and they'll and it matters. Like they're they're actually doing real things in Fandelver. It has to matter to the to the character because the yeah. the, the if if you if you take the little character and you throw them in this huge world how 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 important is he going to feel whereas if you take the little character and you put him in the little village where everybody knows his name and he happens to be the hero of that village or, or, or she or they happen to be the heroes there and then they move on from that then they i think there's more there's more of a feeling of of wow i, I accomplished something important here let me see what else is out there right right and to me i learned it the hard way right i created this huge uh, in fourth edition, fourth edition, I created, I bought into that whole points of light shit. I created, <laughs> no, I, I did. I bought into this whole points of light thing. I bought, I created this world with these, uh, these guys up in a mountain that were kind of this council and this nonsense. And you know, every time I spoke about them to my players, their eyes kind of glossed over. Them. <laughs> Check the phone. You know? Yeah, like where's the fight, dude? Hey, can you I tell us about this mountain guys again. You know, I created this whole thing that never saw the light of day, and I said, what am I doing? Like, who cares about any of this shit I've written except me? 
no one cares. When we get to this, we'll get to it. But right now, we're starting on in uh, 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 was it Fallcrest or Winter Haven or one of those. Whatever, whatever. I'm I'm thinking, why am I why am I up at night writing this 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 Tolkien esque world that we're never gonna get to? Like, who cares? Right. Like, dude, let's just find a dungeon in Fallcrest and fight whoever we gotta fight, and then we'll build from there together. And right. I'll let them add to the world, and they can sort of create and and that's how you get people invested in it because if you just sit in there rambling off winter haven is the name of that town winter haven because if you're sitting there rambling off you know pros about your world no one cares mm. and and in my opinion and and, and, I, and a lot of people may disagree with me and that's fine in my opinion you're wasting your time that's not going to invest at the end of the day you're just your 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 vanity world isn't what's going to get them invested in, in the game. It's going to be their place in the world and their heroics and their adventure at that right now, not everything else. But mm -hmm. That's just my opinion. I may be wrong. Nope. I think it's, I think it's great. Enrique, I want to thank you so much for joining me on our first episode of the DMs Deep Dive. Uh, I know I really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, I am really glad that we got to the newbie DMs, newbie DM rule, the golden rule. That's that. That's great. Um, it's been a great pleasure, and uh, uh, I want to thank you. I want to thank Alex uh, for 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 manning all of the hardware and software to make this possible. I want to thank all of the wonderful people that were in the chat channel. I'm sorry we only get to a couple of questions. Uh, next time, maybe we'll expand. We'll we'll have a little less uh, rambling on in the beginning and uh, uh, add some more some more questions to the next to the to the, to the end of the show. Um, so I want to thank you all for coming, Enrique. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Mike, thank you for inviting me. I, you know, uh, even when we talk offline, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, my friend. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for the invite, and uh, good luck with the podcast. Good luck to uh, James and Alex yep. and everybody else involved with the network. I, I wish you guys well. I'm a big fan of, you know, I was a big fan of the roundtable and the and and the Tom show and everything everything else you guys have done together as a group. So I'm I'm gonna follow you along to this new venture, and and good luck and. We'll be listening. Awesome. So, you guys are with me when I'm riding bike at the park behind my house. So, <laughs> well, let's uh, <laughs> keep pumping out episodes, please, because I, I sometimes I run out and my <laughs> then I, I don't go bike riding when I don't have anything to listen to. All right. So, <laughs> all right. Thank everybody you all. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much.